Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to a bonus episode titled Be With It All with Glenda Hoon Russell. Be With It All is a popular and familiar saying within the wellness industry, but it's kind of ethereal. What does it even mean? How do we be with all of it without losing our minds? And where do we even begin? So this week, nature therapy guide and self-awareness coach Glenda Hoon-Russell is here to help us unpack the all of our emotions and to get some footing on how to not only learn to see it all, but to become a witness of all of it on our own behalf. Being with it all doesn't mean being with it all the time. It's an invitation to practice releasing expectations and ego to let our souls experience the fullness of our human existence. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Mandy and I am here today with a dear friend, Glenda Hoon-Russell. Hello, Glenda. Hi, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. Absolutely. We were just saying off air how funny and good timing this was because the original plan for this episode uh, was not to interview you. I had a long list of people, but none of them felt quite right. I didn't have a piece about it. And uh, you came along in my mind and it was perfect, the perfect moment. And I love it because this morning my uh, husband handed me a cup of coffee in this mug that actually says peace on it. It says, it does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and be calm in your heart. And I thought that is exactly, that is exactly how I feel to be honest, whenever I get to talk to you. So I'm so excited that we're here and we have a great griefy conversation to have today. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just going to start you off by um, introducing you. You know, you are this nature therapy guide and self-awareness coach, and you have this brilliant perspective on how we can approach ourselves, our mental health, um, and our experience of rest. And I'm just going to read this little quote and then let you talk about yourself and what you do, because on your website, you have this thing that says there are two types of tired, one that requires sleep and the other requires peace. I love that so much. Will you share a little more about that and just what you do? Oh my gosh. It's funny. I haven't heard that quote in a while. You know how you do your website and then it takes six months to like, look at it again. (laughs) But yes, I, I absolutely believe that there are two types of tired. And one of the reasons is, you know, that we, I think as a culture, we're taught to that being tired is um, physically sleepy, right? And what we don't talk about enough is internally being exhausted. Through all of the different journeys that I've been through of a lot of escapism with alcohol and food and um, avoidance and just escapism by ignoring different aspects of my life and trying to improve my life, I think that it eventually came down to that we can we can take as many bubble baths as we want, which there's nothing wrong with those, or we can go and get our nails done, or we can go and do these like surface level things that you hear from our consumeristic society to basically cover the ti- the physical tiredness, but what we're not talking about enough is 
finding that peace within ourselves, which is what actually gives us some, uh, some reprieve and restoration to, to flow through our days. So that's what my work focuses on is finding that inner peace because it's not a destination. We don't, I actually don't even like to say we find inner peace because it's never found. It's a temporary thing that it's a journey. It's the road that we walk. And um, so that's, that's what I, I love to talk about. So I do it through my nature therapy and uh, my self-awareness coaching. I love that perspective because it makes me think about how people conflate emotions and feelings as well. Like, for example, you can be tired emotionally and you can be tired physically and they do not necessarily need the other to exist. And that's one of the first examples I use when people say, well, I don't know the difference between a feeling or an emotion. I say that I feel sad. I don't know the difference, but how is that not an emotion? I just love the tired example because it's so clear. And when you bring it to someone in that simple way, it can become an embodied intelligence, right? That's something that they, they can start to sense. Oh, I do know what you're talking about. You're right. I am. I do lack that peace access to that. I haven't encountered that kind of inner peace in a long time. And so the conversation gets to shift from maybe take a power nap to maybe let's draw some boundaries and say no to a whole bunch of things and find what brings you joy. So one of the things that you said recently on your TikTok that I came across that caught my attention was this beautiful conversation about misconceptions with spiritual journeys, with healing journeys, with, um, and, and you addressed it a second ago, just by reinforcing that it's not a destination. This is a process. These are things that we encounter and we learn to, um, take in and learn to embody and learn to practice but that is a really overwhelming concept. And so I want you to talk about that a little bit, but I want to just share if it's okay with you, what you had said, and I won't share the whole thing, but you had said, there's a lot of different terms people throw around about a healing journey or a spiritual awakening, such as becoming more conscious. But I say, we're just becoming more self-aware. One of those big misconceptions is that we are automatically granted this blissful state. And because it's our spiritual path to heal, we are automatically allowed to be happy all the time. The truth is that that is a branch of our consumeristic cultural programming. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So we all started out with, if you can imagine a little ball <laughs> and that's our, that's our soul. That is who we all are underneath, under uh, all of the programming. And we, when we were born, we were born with this basically blank slate. I say basically because there's, there's a lot more in there, but for now, we'll just say basically blank slate. And as we grow, you know, we're influenced by our caretakers, whether that's your guardian, guardians, your parents, whoever that was that was surrounding you, your siblings, whoever raised you, that they're, they influenced how you were raised. And it might be simple things like the way that you do dishes might be the same way that, say, your mother did the dishes, right? <laughs> but it might be things like su suppressing emotions, like that um, your mother might have been or father might have been someone who didn't talk a lot about their feelings. So maybe as an adult, you don't talk a lot about your feelings. So these people influence us. 
and then widen that gap a little bit more. And our culture influences us. And that's everything from the people we went to school with, the social economic classes that we're a part of, the uh, racial groups that we're a part of, the, I mean, everything had an influence on us and the geography, even our generations. So everything that we did, we picked up along the way saying, okay, well, this is, this is my truth. For example, um, so many of us think that there's milestones in our life that we have to go to college, we have to um, find a job, have a family, have a, a certain size home, have this many cars. And so we check off these boxes thinking, this is what I need to do in order to be happy, in order to be successful, in order to be valued. So each of those influences creates a, what I call a paper thin layer over this, going back to the ball imagery of this, of our soul. And this creates the ego. And this ego then basically suffocates our soul, our, our inner truth of who we really are. And for most of us, I believe that we see those layers, that ego, and it becomes a voice in our head. It says, well, this is how we need to react to certain emotions that this influences us with every move that we do throughout our life. And we just have this, this, this feeling that life is just terrible. It's miserable. And why am I still doing these things? Why am I chasing money? Why am I working so hard and putting every bit of effort into everything I'm doing and I'm still absolutely miserable. So with that being said, so I I might mention the ego and that that means like all of our programming and our soul means our truth. So I, I always like to explain that in the beginning. So one of the things that is important to realize, especially as we flow through our spiritual awakening, self-awareness journey, our uh, becoming more conscious, whatever that journey title, it doesn't matter. It, It really means that we're all just journeying back to our soul, that we're becoming aware of that programming. We're becoming aware of the conditioning and what is, what are we holding on to? What are we saying yes to? And so much of that has to do with our emotions. It's influencing us to think that we constantly have to be happy. And there's this messaging, whether it's on TV advertisements, on shows on Netflix, on, um, I mean, movies, everything, that there is this sense that if we don't have what they have, we're not good enough. And as you can see, like, I don't really know the the most recent statistic, but the amount of screen time that we share, that we're so addicted to being external because we want what they want, even if that's a subconscious belief, but society doesn't tell you that. Society doesn't tell you, oh, it's okay to feel 
resentment. It's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel disappointment. It's okay to be disappointed or to allow other people to be disappointed at you as a recovering people pleaser. That's a huge one for me, you know, to actually accept, like, it's okay that that adult is disappointed in a boundary that I set, (laughs) you know? And so I think that this, this concept that we're not allowed to feel our emotions then tells us that when we start to feel, say, an emotion like anger, and especially as women, that we have to be soft, we have to be calm and polite and pretty and polished. And the truth is, F all that. Like, we are allowed to have our emotions and we need to express our emotions because physically in the body, if we don't allow ourselves to express our emotions, what does that do? We become like an Instapot where all of our emotions start pressurizing. Yeah. That all of our emotions start to build, build, build. Yeah. And what this eventually does is it creates illness in the body. And that's when we have not just depression and anxiety, but that's why we have certain different, certain pains, certain allergies. I mean, there's so much research that our emotions are actually creating these different uh, illnesses in the body. And, but when we learn to be with it all and, and again, like you and I are like, you were saying in the beginning of our conversation that, um, being with it all can be really heavy for a lot of people to hear at first, but it's, it's not that you have to be with it all in the beginning. It's more of just learning to be the witness and stepping back and learning to observe these emotions. We learn to, to be with it all. And I, I always say that with a little asterisk because that could be a, a lot for someone to hear depending on where their nervous system is, what trauma they are going through, have been through, or are, are just reacting to. And when I say that we learn to be with it all, it again is going back to being the witness and when we can become the witness, if you can imagine with me, when whenever you're sitting, uh, gosh, I haven't been to a movie theater in a long time, but remember in the old days when we would go to movie theaters, that we would be sitting in an audience, uh, a, you know, a, a stadium or whatever, and uh, and there would be a screen, and one of the most powerful tools that I've learned in this healing journey is to learn how to be the person sitting in the seat, watching the movie screen. Mm. And that movie screen might be anything from an emotion that you're going through. It might be a um, a phase in life that you're going through. It might be a um, a, a, a period of doubt and turmoil, or even 
a period of complete joy and bliss. But when we learn to be the witness of it all, what we're doing is we're basically creating this space between what is happening, and that might be the emotion, and again, the witness, the person who is observing. Mm -hmm. And this again takes some time and we'll talk about a couple different tools that you can start to practice this um, here in a bit. But what this does is it creates space from whatever is happening in life. And that might be say an emotion, but it, it creates space for you to back away and one, have a like a wide lens view of what's going on because gosh how many times have we been so angry at whatever and someone at work and we think that this is the end of the world when you know we we can be so dramatic sometimes and I want to be clear that what what we're doing is when we are the witness we're not not feeling our emotion, right? What we're doing is we're acknowledging, I am angry. I am angry at this person for hurting me. Let's just say for an example. Hmm. And, but where we begin to start using energy that doesn't need to be used is when we start to create narratives and storylines like well I hate this person you know she's uh she's been rude to me for so many years and why doesn't anyone like me I don't have any friends like we go down these I call them thought spirals that they lead us into these narratives where we brood so the more skillful approach to say brooding or letting the narratives go into this tornado or this spiral is learning to become aware of the emotion that you're feeling in this moment. And that, because so many times, like let's say we're angry at this woman, we might repress that emotion. We might be like, well, I... I, I don't want to admit that I'm angry, you know, I just, she just sucks, you know, they'd be disappointed in us if we we admit that we're angry. Yeah. Yeah. We skirt around it. Yeah. And so with what my approach is, is that I say my approach, the approach that I have learned through amazing teachers is to be with it, to be with that emotion of anger. Mm -hmm. And you can be with that emotion of anger without throwing a tantrum, without um, hurting anyone. Like you can be angry and feel it in this moment. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're releasing that pressure cooker. We're releasing that that the energy of the emotion outside of ourselves. And so that doesn't stay in the body. That doesn't brood. We're able to, the the cliche word of letting it go. And it's a, it's a process because you might be angry, but it might take several different types of techniques to release that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I know that I use a variety of different ten techniques. I have a what's called a fuck you journal. I don't know if you cuss on this, but <laughs> you're good. <laughs> so basically, this journal, I write down everything, especially when I'm angry uh, or resentful. I I write down every little thing that wants to come out about a certain person or situation or event that I would never say out loud. <laughs> I would never say it to this person, but it just, it just needs to come out. And so I write it freely, even if it's the meanest things, like I just let it all come out without judgment. And Without, without judgment, yeah. yourself, without saying yeah. mama raised me better, or I could never, how could something so ugly come out of me? I think that that invitation to be very honest and true is to recognize there is no person on earth that does not have something like this within them. You just might have a different word that you're using, but that level of uh, inner pain comes from all of those unmet expectations and that holding ourselves to a standard that we were never meant to reach. So yeah, I just wanted to add that because that it's easy to look back at those. And even as you were saying it, I was like, Ooh, that reminds me how I've thought, what if my daughter finds my journal someday? I can't wait for her to read and be like, Whoa, my mom was a human. My mom was real. Oh, she was <laughs> mad at dad in this one. Okay. Or whatever it is that, that authentic yeah. human experience has to be given a journal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the individual can decide whether they keep that journal mm -hmm. or they decide to rip it out. And, and that's my process is that I rip it out and then I either shred it or I burn it because to me, that's like, I'm releasing that part of myself and it's, it's not a, it's not a part of my space anymore. It's so not a memory I, I think either hold. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not something that I necessarily want to go back and read or, but I, I honor your path and your, that, that you want to keep it. So I think that for whoever's listening, they can choose either direction, whatever feels right, maybe play with both and see what, what feels expansive, right? Like what feel, what makes you feel the release more. It even makes me think of uh, it's, it's really about attachment style or stances, right? And the way that we approach anything that we want to hold on to and for what purpose I, as you were talking, I was thinking, I'm willing to bet I could go find notebooks full of college course lecture notes in my garage that I don't know why I need or old planners for the purpose of reminiscing for remembering. Well, my attachment stance happens to be insecure in a lot of ways because I have memory retention issues. So I want to go back and remember things, but unless I'm cued, I'm not going to remember it. So while I'm realizing I don't necessarily need chem 201 notes to remember, um, those journals might be really valuable to release just for the sake of releasing that information. And, and in that regard, we have the opportunity here to, again, frame emotions as information and remind ourselves you cannot retain and do not need to retain all information for a well-rounded, healthy life experience. It's, it's in fact exhausting. And you end up with crates in the garage full that you don't need. We all have them. Even though I live in an RV, I still have my <laughs> little crates and it's, um, yeah, 
yeah, but beautiful. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on understanding your attachments and attachment styles. Yeah. I think learning about attachment stances is definitely a, a rabbit trail to run down. And that really comes, especially for grievers, when you're in a place of mental clarity, right? Brain fog is so thick and so real for grievers that I would never say, Hey, by the way, learn about your attachment stances now while you're trying to process why things hurt because the, the why things hurt is so evident, but down the road, you know, two years into a loss or something along those lines, when we are asking that question is why can't I be with it all? Why can't I handle being activated and feeling angry and then being sad and, and this emotional whirlwind attachment stances allow us to give ourselves permission, like you said, to become the observer and to take a step back, but also to recognize our propensity for those same stances, why we consistently get too close to the screen and wonder how come our vision is so focused on one thing. It might be because we're dealing with stories from our past or stories from about who we think we are. And so I want to wrap this just by asking you, like, what is one way that you would invite the griever who says, yeah, I love the idea. I love what you're saying, but I don't know where to begin to be with it all without feeling like I will be unable to stop. How do I sincerely close the journal and give myself permission to not continue ruminating or to give myself permission to take a step towards something else or toward a different emotion? So I think that first of all, bringing some awareness to any shoulds that you're starting to say, like, let's say that you are experiencing a certain emotion and you're like, well, I, I should be over this by now. Or I, God, I've been, I've been going through this grief and this depression for, for years. I should be in a different place. And that word should or could the those words are just poison they because what they're telling us is they're telling us that we need to be something than other than what we are and when we learn to be with it all it's saying that it's okay that i am still going through this grief it's okay that I am still angry at this person. It's okay that, um, and this moves us more into an acceptance level than any kind of denial or resistance towards what we need to feel. So even just bringing some awareness around, if, if you're starting to think that you should feel a certain way or that you should be over this or um, that, uh or that you should feel happy, like mark that, just bring some awareness and label that as that's a should and bring yourself back to, I don't have to be anything other than what I am right now. Mm. And that it's okay to feel, to still feel what I need to feel right now. Mm. Because the way that emotions work is that so many times we resist and suppress that we don't actually get to feel the full emotion that we need to feel. Because once we feel that, 
it lightens and it starts to deflate and there's freedom at the end of that. Um, if you think about any time that you have, let's say you've been angry with someone and um, you finally sat down with them and you had a talk and um, you were able to just cordially work through it. And afterward, you felt this release like, okay, we're okay now. Everything's fine. It's, but before when you were angry at them, it's like, I am never going to talk to this person again. Like it, there was like this whole dramatic um, process of like, I'm never going to get through this emotion. But once you went through it, went through the process of resolution, that, that emotion was released. Emotions are temporary, no matter if they feel like they stay with us for a full day, a month, or even years. And that emotions will always be up and down, like no matter what, even if we're, um, I can only speak for myself, but through my depressive episodes, it felt like I was depressed for years. But when we really look at our day-to-day, -day, there might have been some subtle ups and downs. There might have been um, maybe the next week there was, you know, I was doing a little better, but then I fell back into it. So emotions are always up and down. And I always remind myself that whatever I'm going through, especially with the harder ones, that this is temporary and that it it's not going to be, I'm not going to feel like this forever. And the ego tends to uh, only focus on the bad parts, right? And so another thing that you could do with, again, being with it all is to acknowledge when you're actually going through something good. And I'm not talking about like, joyful laughing belly laugh because you might not be there right now but like maybe it's a smile maybe it's seeing something that your child does that makes you feel proud or like looking outside at a beautiful landscape or a beautiful sunset and just acknowledging that within these moments that we are having some good and bad and so you learn to see that throughout your time period, throughout whatever you're going through, that it's a mixture of emotions. And, but especially just noting, you don't have to do anything with it other than just gently note, like, this is a good thing. This is, this brought a smile to my face. This makes me happy. And just, just gently note that. So the next time that it feels so impossible that once you have flowed through whatever you need to flow through that you you'll there'll be a time period when that ends and that or that it ceases or that I don't like to say ends because I feel like it always things always come back in in different waves and that's part of being with it all I think that that's a really beautiful way to explain it that permission to recognize that life will ebb and flow the expectation of pure happiness all the time is a myth. And the people who present it are lying to sell you something or maybe not sell you something, but just sell you on the idea that it's possible and that they have some 
magical secret. I was just thinking the other day while I was driving about, uh, about like wellness retreats and, and the work that you and I do things like that and how our goal is to become obsolete. Like the authentic people in this industry in, in all of those industries is truly to work themselves out of a job to become people who witness our work, making such an impact that people are teaching each other and we get to live in a world where there's more grief literacy for me or where there's more peace in your world. You know what I mean? It just, it, it's such an idealized perspective and, and you might say, well, that's lovely for you guys to have rose colored glasses, you know, but, but truly if we are working unto this wholeness on behalf of all of us, ourselves internally, the people we connect with externally, then I don't think it's unreasonable to say that when those heavy moments come, we can continue to survive, but also to perceive thriving and opportunities to thrive in our area without, without fear, without recognition that, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And I'm going to perish from being so overwhelmed. Um, we've really learned to strengthen internally and put down expectations that are so limiting and so oppressive on the reality of who we're supposed to be as we're coming out of loss and life in general, just any of those things. Glenda, you have such a refreshing and beautiful perspective. And I just, I'm so grateful that you've made time to be with me today and that you are living in the mountains of Colorado and impacting your, your community with invitations to soften and an invitation to really just push back and say, well, what are the unmet expectations in your life? How are they impacting your whole spirit, your ego? How are they impacting your soul? And how are they limiting you from becoming who you want to become? I think that's a good summary, but <laughs> you did great. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's just, it's refreshing to know that, um, and to be able to share with people that, you know, it's normal and natural and expected to experience grief when you realize that there are expectations in your life that haven't been met and that there's an entirely new way of living on the other side of letting those expectations go. That other end is, is peace and freedom. That, that doesn't mean that, you know, the, your kids are still going to spill milk all over your computer and, uh, the car is going to get a flat tire and the person at work is going to be grumpy, but it just means that we don't have to, we learn how to become less reactive. We learn how to respond to life rather than react to it. And when we respond, we take our power back and that leads to peace and freedom. I love it. I love it. Okay. Yay, thank you. <laughs> so good. Everybody, you need to go find, go to the show notes, find uh, Glenda's contact information. She's uh, rejoining the social media sphere on Instagram and TikTok. So she's got some great, great content, super approachable and really just invitational into a space where you get to decide, are you going to live with heavy expectations or are you going to live with a lightened burden? So um, thank you, Glenda, for making time and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Mandy. Appreciate you so much. Thank you to everyone. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Restorative Grief. I hope you feel inspired to start a practice of observation in your own life today. 
Our emotions are powerful pieces of information for us, but we so often relate to them in overly intimate ways, and that prevents us from stepping back and bearing witness. Yet in our grief, a compassionate witness is the very thing we need the most to start our healing journey. And here's the thing, I know it could be really easy to write this conversation off as something emotional people do, but the truth is you are an emotional person because you have emotions, both comfortable and uncomfortable ones. Maybe yours aren't as outwardly expressive, but you are still responsible for your own emotional labor, which includes learning how to wield them well and learn from their presence, because I guarantee others are learning from your emotions. Why not ensure they're learning something about you that you want them to understand? Patrons, as always, it is an honor to serve you and your growth journey through this show, so thank you for continuing to be with me and to champion restorative grief. I'll see you next time.